the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This last week we had the great martyr St. Demetrius and his feast day. And since it was the, his feast day when I was teaching the faith class at Agia Sophia Academy for the kids, I read from this children's book, um, which is a wonderful book. We have these beautiful books about saints now. I won't do a story reading today, but I just wanted to read the very beginning of this. If you found yourself back in the times of the Roman Empire and followed one of its main stone-paved roads, this famous Via Enniata, you would inevitably reach the city of Thessaloniki. Glorious and shiny, rich and mysterious is Thessaloniki, the great city of Macedonia, northern Greece. Founded by Cassandros Antipastoros, the brother-in-law of Alexander the Great, it overlooks the Thermaic Gulf and the snow-capped Mount Olympus. Thessaloniki could boast of its intriguing history, powerful rulers of olden times, battles won, and treasures hidden within its walls. But its most precious treasure is its tireless patron saint, St. Demetrios. In the center of Thessaloniki is the church of St. Demetrios. And in that church is the relic of St. Demetrios. His entire body, which is kept inside a silver-encased reliquary. And he's called the Murgusher because at times known only to God, his holy body exudes myrrh. So much so that sometimes it covers the floor of the church and they're sopping it up. So he is truly their greatest treasure. treasure. And this is why we have reliquaries, because they're treasure boxes. They're treasure boxes because they contain the physical presence of a sanctified life. Do you know how much grace resides in the bones of a holy person? We see in miracles like St. Demetrius, where the myrrh is coming out to tell us something that we should already know, which is, this is a vessel of grace. Let me tell you a story about two little children, Anna and Athanasios Carcelides, whom we commemorated yesterday. And this is a story a little bit more about relics. They were born in Pontus, which is in northeastern Turkey, in the mountainous regions there. Their parents died when they were young. Little Athanasios was about three or four years old, and his father died in war, and his mother died of grief. And they were left with their grandmother, who was very holy, very pious. And I'll read a portion from their life. Now, Anna was his older sister, and she was born, George was born in 1901, Anna was born in 1896. For an unknown reason, Anna also entered into blessed rest at the age of 14 in 1910. She was about to enter an engagement with her neighbor's son when she got ill and died. Three years after her repose, a good Turk who lived near our bishop, all the Christians gathered with prayers and petitions around their bishop and their priests at the exhuming of her relics after three years of repose. This is a common practice in Greece. It's after three years of being buried in the ground, they take up the, the relics of the person, the bones of the person. It was then that they discovered that the heart and the right hand of young Anna were incorrupt and covered in gold. 
while the rest of her bones had a yellowish color as is often seen on the relics of saints. The bishop took her relics and placed them in the church. When Anna's fiance saw this, he requested of the bishop a portion of her relics, and he traveled to the Holy Land where he became a monk. Her brother Athanasios also requested a portion of her relics, which he kept with him always and brought them later on to Greece. Now this is not the end of the story of young Athanasios, who's later known as George. When he was nine years old, he had a very cruel older brother and he wanted to flee. And so at nine years old, St. George came to him and brought him away. And he brought him to the home of a kind Turkish family. And there he was a shepherd. And he was a shepherd for them for quite a while. And one of the days when he was out as a shepherd, he heard this beautiful chanting. And he saw these three men dressed in very elaborate vestments. And he tried to follow them, but they eluded him. So he went home to the, the Turkish man and said, I saw these three beautiful people who were singing beautifully. I don't know who they are. And the Turkish person said, could you recognize them? And then he brought him down to the basement of their house and opened up a trap door and they climbed down a ladder and there was a whole church because this Turkish person was what we call a crypto-Christian. And they went into the church there and he found the icon of the three hierarchs and said, Is this, are these the three that you saw? And he said, yes, those are the three. So St. George, this uh, Turkish person said, you're not fit to be here, you should be in a monastery. And so he sent him to Georgia, to Tbilisi, and there he was made a monk. Then in Georgia, communism came. And so all the monastics were put into this dark prison. And he was there, and then they took them out to a cliff where a firing squad awaited them. They were on this cliff, the firing squad fired, he received a shot that hit the metal uh, pendant that was given to him by his grandmother and knocked him down. And all the other people were killed and he was not. So then after that, he continued to live in Tbilisi, Georgia. He became a priest. He was so weakened by all of the torture that he endured, he was half paralyzed. And eventually he made his way to Greece. And there he was north of Thessaloniki in Drama for the final 30 years of his life until 1959. And this is St. George Karsalides. And there's an icon over there that I put so you can see what he looks like. You can venerate that icon next to St. John there. There's also a little cotton swab which is from his holy relics that you can anoint your head with. So St. George, he was uh, buried in the ground in 1959. In 2006, almost 50 years later, his bones were exhumed and on his skull was etched the sign of the cross. So St. George and St. Anna, their relics to this day are at the monastery that he founded in northern Greece, and they were canonized in 2006, and we commemorate them yesterday. So why do I mention all of these things? There are so many examples of the grace of God dwelling in holy people and working through their holy relics. I'll tell you just one more example. You know, Father Christos of Holy Trinity? He and his kids and wife, he would oftentimes go and do Trisagian service at the cemeteries. I may have told this before, so forgive me if I have. But his kids would like to go into the ossuaries whenever they were going to do Trisagian services at the cemeteries. And they would go around sniffing, sniffing to see if they could find any fragrant scents. And oftentimes they would, and then they would go sniffing. Which one is it? Where is it? 
find the bones of some unknown holy person. And this holy person, their body still has this great grace. And so the children would smell this. So why am I saying all of this? Because I want you to know the magnitude of God's grace that is available to you. This isn't just about the saints. Now we get the extra blessing because God loves us so much that he gives us the relics of saints for our blessing. But that's also to show us that this is available to us. We too can become such profound vessels of grace that even after our departure from this life, Miracles can happen. While you're still journeying on the path of sanctification, God, in his love for us, gives us the relics of saints. But for us to be sanctified, it is a choice. This is where we get to the gospel today, of Lazarus and the rich man. And I want you to re-envision this a little bit. Both of them are inside of each of us. Both of them are. We have Lazarus, we have the rich man as which. We live in a time and a world and a place where there are plenty of things that we can feast ourselves upon. Feasting our eyes by what we watch, feasting our mouth by what we put in our mouth. And yet there's Lazarus inside of us that needs attention. Because if we don't give attention to Lazarus inside of us, we will end up like the rich in the parable. St. Paul was very clear about this in his epistle today. If you heard that, he said... First of all, he says, brethren, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. So what you know there is he's really trying to make a point because he didn't write all his letters. This part he did write, and he wrote it with large letters to really make it clear. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that would compel you to be circumcised. Another way to put it, it's those who want to appear a certain way to the people around them who have these people. So it's an external thing. It's how can I be like other people around me? How can I not stand out? In this case, it's because they're in a Jewish community. So the way you'd stand out is by not being circumcised. So they're saying, we don't want to stand out. We just want to be like everyone else. We do not want people to see. And this is what we do in our lives. We go through our lives as an average American Orthodox, which means that we go to church, and then we go back to our lives, which by all outward appearance have nothing different with anyone else around us. And so this great grace that we see in the relics of saints, it eludes us. And it eludes us because we choose the other path. We choose the path that is easy and right in front of us and so clear rather than that narrow, more difficult path. St. Paul said today, Far be it from me to glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. How many of us could say those words? How many of us could glory only in the cross of Christ, not glory in the next meal that I'm going to have, not glory in the next movie I'm going to watch. Not glory in the next trip I'm going to take. Glory in the cross of Christ. Through which I have been crucified to the world and the world to me. This is our path. We are Christians. Which means that we take up the cross of Christ. 
And in as much as we can't do what St. Paul is saying here, we can at least repent of it. We can at least say to God, I see how I am not like that. Help me, Lord. But if we won't even admit to that, we say, no, this thing is too good. I don't really want to think about that. I don't really want to think about how much time I'm staring at a screen in my day and yet saying how busy I am and how much I have all these burdens. I don't really want to think about how when I approach a fast, I revile against it. Or maybe I just kind of trudge along because I have to. There are so many ways, my brothers and sisters, and I'm not trying to beat you down with this. Please understand that God is trying to call us so that he can sanctify us, so that he can put his grace inside of us. That's what he wants to do. He wants to make us like the miracle-working relics that we know of. He wants to make us like that. But we hinder that. We hinder that. We say, no, thank you, God. I prefer this. So we have some incredible saints this coming week. We had St. Demetrius last week. We now have a saint you never knew of, St. George Carcelides, or St. George of Drama. We have this coming week. We have St. Nectarios, St. Minas. We have the Holy Archangels. All of these saints are here to bless us, to sanctify us, to help us on this journey so that we too can become vessels of grace. Amen.